Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Rossafari Zoo News, your source for all the news in the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and animal weirdness. I am so excited to be back with y'all this week, and also to be back on the drums this week. So um, for those of you who have been following along on my life adventure, uh, it's been a minute since I've been able to gig thanks to being in the hospital and then recuperating. And um, despite being told I still need to take it a little easy so as to not die on stage. I guess. Uh, I'm back at it. Uh, Great Balls of Fire is fired up again, I guess. And um, yeah, we're just going to say it that way. Whatever. It's a podcast. It's uh, This ain't Shakespeare, folks. And yeah, we are fired up and we are going. And we had our first day of tech today as I'm recording this, which is Wednesday, June 1st. And we open to the public Friday night, uh, June 3rd. So um We are in Lancaster, Pennsylvania at the Dutch Apple Dinner Theater, and we run for most of the month of June. So if you happen to be in that area, anywhere near central Pennsylvania or, uh, you know, there's like Baltimore's kind of nearby and D.C.'s kind of close and Philly and all that stuff, then, uh, hey, come out and and see your your favorite uh, podcaster doing that other thing where I where I hit stuff and, and make a different kind of noise. Um, yeah, it's a good time. Also, I would be remiss in not starting this off by saying happy Pride, y'all. It is June, and that is Pride Month. And uh, I have a really, really cool surprise for y'all coming on Tuesday. Uh, we're doing a really cool episode, and we're going to be looking at um, whether we can look at the animal kingdom to figure out whether queer behaviors are natural or not. Now, you don't have to take my word for it when we get there, because I will be bringing you an interview with an author who wrote a book about this subject. Uh, that's all I'm going to say for now. But this is a very cool, very different episode, and I'm so excited to share it with you all on Tuesday as we dive into Pride Month. Yay! And last but not least at the top of the episode here... um. You may have noticed as you've been downloading episodes of this podcast that some ads pop up from time to time. I'm not talking about the uh, Daydreamer ad that that you're going to hear here shortly and that you hear at the top of every episode, but uh, kind of what may seem like randomly inserted ads, hopefully in good places. Uh, This is part of a new pilot program that I have been invited to be a part of uh, through Buzzsprout, which is the podcast hosting company that I use. And uh, I'm one of the first podcasters who's getting to try to basically do this ad thing where I can make some revenue off of ads from the podcast, despite the fact that we don't get 10,000 downloads of every episode, which is what conventional wisdom says you need to get to get actual advertisers. So it's 
it's an attempt. We're trying it. Most of you are probably not hearing these ads, or if you do, it's once every multiple episodes. So this isn't a big deal yet, but I want to know if you're hearing them. I want to know what you think about them. I want to know if they're being placed well or not. Um, Unfortunately, I'm not the one who places them. So yeah, let me know what's going on. Let me know if you hear these things. And uh, just know that that your buddy John's trying to, to, you know, get a little bit of money out of this podcast that I pour my heart, soul, and finances into all the time. Um, but if it's not going well, well okay, then, then maybe we'll pull out of it and wait until we, we get to the point where we're getting official ads that we can run ourselves. But uh, yeah, let me know what you're thinking. All right, cool. So yeah, for those of you who this is your first time here, or if you are just really forgetful, uh, Zoo News. We're going we're gonna to look at some new stuff, and this is a crowdsourced thing. So if you see any stories that you think would be worth making Zoo News, then go ahead and tag me in those on social media at Rossafari or at Rossafari Pod on TikTok, uh, or email them to me, rossafaripod at gmail.com. You'll get to hear your name at the end of the episode, and I'll get to not have to do research. So. Win-win. All right, here's that ad I was talking about. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamers Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com slash studios. All right. And with that, I think we got everything out of the way. So let's get to the actual news. Hit it, song person. That's that's still me. Well, it's a one for the pennies, two for the bass, three for the markers. Now you should care. Now won't you listen to Zoot News? Oh, you could do anything, but why not listen to Zoot News? Well, it's a... All right. Well, we are going to start our zoo news this week straight out of Toronto up in Canada. Some people call it Canada, but they're wrong. Um, And uh, I'm excited to share this one with you. But uh, my buddy Suva, who is the person, the person, I keep calling animals people. Anyway, that's just because I love them so much. Although, given that I don't love Pete, anyway, yes, so Suva, the red panda male that I am friends with up at the Toronto Zoo, we've gotten to hang out with, and uh, he has the distinction of not only being the most liked photograph on Rossafari ever, but the top two, is gonna be a dad. Yay! So, yeah, y'all might remember from way back when this podcast got rolling, I, I spoke to uh, my good friend Lisa Termini up at the Toronto Zoo because Suva was becoming a father and um, the lovely daughter Adira came along and stole all of our hearts. And she's still at the Toronto Zoo, though she's not going to be for long. Can't tell you where she's going yet, but it's exciting. Uh, but her mother unfortunately passed away. 
Because Suva's genetics are so important, though, they brought in a new female named Paprika, and obviously Suva thought that she was hot enough to live up to that name because they have mated successfully, and the zoo has announced that, uh, there is a new cub on the way. So, you know, lots of things can can go wrong in this process and everything, but um, I love the early transparency. I love that they've shared this already, and I love that we're going to be able to follow along at the uh, Toronto Zoo's social media pages to see this pregnancy and hopefully red panda cubs. Oh, I'm so glad the border is open again. And while we're talking about cute baby animals, although this one has already been born, uh, it is time to welcome Rosie to the Cheetah Ambassador Program at the Cincinnati Zoo. Now, you need to go to their social media pages to see the videos and pictures of this adorable cheetah cub. I have heard multiple people say that they think that cheetah cubs are ugly when they're little, and this is a lie. Opinions can't be wrong, but this isn't even an opinion. It's it's just a, a lie because cheetah cubs are adorable and Rosie is extra adorable. And um, it's, a, it's a pretty great story because uh, the mother who lives at Wildlife Safari in Oregon was going through radiographs and they discovered that there was only a single cub in there. And uh, we've talked about this on here before, but when a single cub is born, uh, this is just for cheetahs, not like for all animals, the mom will not produce enough milk for it to survive. This is a survival strategy in the wild because if the cub doesn't survive, she'll become able to have new cubs again sooner and thus will be able to try again to have multiple cubs, thus increasing the success rate that, you know, one of the litter will survive. Uh, so makes sense. Not so much in zoos, but cheetahs' bodies haven't figured that out yet. And so because they knew that the cub would have to be hand-reared, the uh, SSP stepped in and decided to send the cub to the Cincinnati Zoo. So they are now taking care of Rosie, who is going to be a celebrity because we all know what happened with Chris and Remus. And the Cincinnati Zoo social media team is amazing as is their cheetah ambassador team. If you haven't listened to the episode about that yet from season one, you definitely should. And uh, make sure you go check out these pictures. Welcome to the family, Rosie. I can't wait to meet you. And this next story is a great one, not only because it's a zoo that I love doing a cool thing, but also because uh, the timing was just perfect. So, Zoo Miami has been working on a new sea turtle hospital for a couple of years, and it just recently passed inspection and received its permits to accept sick and injured sea turtles. That's convenient because recently, a Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission was contacted that a large female loggerhead sea turtle had been rescued from the Port St. Lucie power plant with a severe wound to its left front flipper, leaving only exposed bone and torn flesh. They believe that this turtle was the victim of a shark attack. Along with the pretty horrendous injuries, once the uh, turtle was at Zoo Miami, they found out that uh, she was laden with eggs. By the following morning after she arrived, she had deposited over 100 eggs, which were then collected by the staff and taken to um, a man-made nest for incubation. The hope is that many of those eggs will be viable and these turtles will all get a head start on life, despite the fact that their mother could have died in the wild and lost all of them in the process because of this shark attack. Now, 
for the mother, who they uh, have temporarily named Baymax, uh, she had a great surgery. They were able to remove the injured area and do an amputation um, so that flipper is gone. But And this is this is one of the cool things now. So you may be thinking, oh, I know what's next. She's going to become a turtle living their best life at an aquarium somewhere because we've all seen the animals that are missing a flipper and that means they can't be re-released so they live at aquariums. But the Fish and Wildlife Commission have come to realize that sea turtles can actually survive in the wild missing limbs. In fact, a lot of older sea turtles are missing parts of limbs from shark attacks and stuff and do just fine. As such, unless there are any complications uh, or unforeseen other issues that come up, there's a very good chance that this turtle will be released back into the wild to go on living her best turtle life. So Baymax may end up back out in the wild, and over a 100 eggs have a better chance to hatch than they would in the wild because of this incident. Go Zoo Miami. This is amazing. And while we're sticking with awesome stories for right now, Naples Zoo has been part of a collaborative effort with the Fish and Wildlife Commission to reunite a Florida panther kitten with its mother in the wild. The story started when the kitten was separated from its mother and discovered by Fish and Wildlife. They launched a search for the adult female, but were unable to find her. So they took the cub to Naples Zoo, where the veterinary team performed a wellness check and the animal care team took care of the kitten while they continued the search for the mother. In fact, a team of keepers and FWC staff would actually take the kitten out in the evening in the hope of attracting her mother to her scent and cries. Unfortunately, this did not work out really well, and uh, they decided that, you know, the, the kitten wasn't going to make it out in the wild, and they weren't going to do a, a reunion. So a few of the keepers at the Naples Zoo took the panther kitten to White Oak Conservation Center, which is up in North Florida. However, the team was not convinced that, given more time, the mother would not find the cub. As such, the, uh, they decided to drive back up to North Florida, and we're talking a good five or six hour drive here, y'all, to get the kitten again and to start taking her back out into the wild. Three nights of doing this later, boom, the mother showed up. The uh, biologists released the kitten from her crate and the daughter ran to the mother and they had a happy reunion. Since then, Fish and Wildlife has used telemetry data as well as trail camera footage to uh, be fairly certain that not only is the kitten doing well, but that the kitten and mother are still together, living together, and, uh, you know, having their best little cat family lives. This is an amazing story, y'all. And speaking of awesome work being done by zoos, uh, our good friends up in Connecticut at Beardsley Zoo have a Teen Conservation Discovery Corps. And those students, in combination with Zoo Career Explorers, which are also teens that work at the zoo, um, they teamed up with the staff of the zoo and some volunteers to go to the Pequonic River and clean up. And in total, in just a couple of weeks of work, this team of amazing teens, staff, and volunteers have cleared half a ton of debris from the river. 
That is such an amazing rewilding project, and I am just so proud of everyone involved. Kudos, y'all. And goodness gracious, I'm just full of happy news today. Sorry for my cynical listeners. Uh, usually I got something for you, and I'm, I'm sure I will later on. But um, the St. Louis Zoo recently announced the birth of two critically endangered Amur leopard cubs. Uh, the cubs, who are named Anna and Irina, uh, were born on April 21st and are doing very well so far. Now, um, you know, Amur leopards are one of the most endangered species in the world, so every single birth needs to be celebrated, which is why we're celebrating it right now. Yay! John Ball Zoo has recently announced that they are building a state-of-the-art multi-species habitat that will house pygmy hippos, sitatunga, which is one of my favorite animal names to say, and white stork. Now, the project will be completed in 2023, but one of the things that makes this so worth mentioning on Zoo News is that the project is working to achieve the goals of the Living Building Challenge. What does that mean? Well, that LBC, as it is known, uh, strives to use the act of designing construction to make the world a better place. They are regenerative buildings that connect occupants to light, air, food, nature, and community while being self-sufficient and creating a positive impact on the human and natural systems that interact with them. All that, and you get to say and see Sitatunga. On a side note, I really enjoy annoying Zoe by saying that Sitatunga is the first word of Circle of Life from Lion King. Can't you just hear it now? Sitatunga! Okay, maybe not, but I enjoy it. And speaking of new exhibits, there is a new exhibit area open at the National Zoo in Washington, D.C. There are palaces, cats, and bobcats, and bear cats, or, you know, binturongs. And uh, I'm hearing from people that the binturong exhibit is really, really wonderful, and that the two binturongs in there, especially the female, Lola, are very interested in guests. Now, that doesn't mean you can touch them. There are barriers and stuff. But get yourself over there while they're still interested and get a whiff of that popcorn smell. And uh, for those of you who don't understand why I love Binturong so much, this is your chance to go and figure it out for yourself. And also like Palace's cat and stuff. Yay. Now, if you're like me, and very few people actually are, which is a good thing. But anyway, if you're like me, you oftentimes just sit and wonder randomly throughout the day, what is our good friend Lou Parati, the director of conservation up at Roger Williams Park Zoo, up to? His episode still is one of the most inspirational I've ever put out. And if you haven't checked it out, you really should. It's such a great look at the behind-the-scenes conservation work being done at amazing zoos like Roger Williams Park Zoo. Well, one of the projects that he and his team are working right now aims to collect invaluable data about the local turtles up in the area, tracking their movements and habitat use. But how does one track an animal that doesn't really want to be seen and is kind of small and has camouflage shells and, and all that stuff? Well, you hire Newt. Not a Newt, but Newt. The turtle tracking dog. 
Newt is a fox red Labrador retriever who went out on a turtle tracking session for Roger Williams Park Zoo and will continue to for the next month and a half. Newt is going to be using his snoot to check out the local turtle population in the Rhode Island area and help get data so that the uh, conservationists can get a better understanding of the population to help save them. Go Newt Go! And speaking of turtles and zoos, 23 Northwestern Pond Turtles reared at the Oregon Zoo, or Oregon Zoo, I've heard it both ways, were recently released into the Columbia River Gorge. This is part of a Head Start program where baby turtles are taken in and given a chance to be raised out of dangerous areas until they are large enough to, you know, at least have a chance out there in the wild. So while it is known that, in general, turtles born in the wild die at huge rates because they're tiny and edible and get lost and get stuck in stuff and just all the things, it is estimated that 95% of the turtles that go through this Head Start program live well into adulthood. That's incredible. So awesome work at the Oregon Zoo or Oregon Zoo. Again, I've heard it both ways. And that brings us to Conservation, Conservation, News Time. Oh, yeah. And y'all, you in for a howling good time because it is time for some wolf news. Oh. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, must be a full moon. Anyway, y'all know that I love talking about wolf conservation in my zoo news segments, and I have four wolf conservation stories for you this week, so I thought I'd howl at the beginning. Anyway, let's get to these four stories. First of all, Roger Williams Park Zoo, yep, those amazing people again, uh, have announced that their red wolves, Brave and Diego, are now first-time parents, and y'all... At RWP Zoo on Instagram has pictures of the puppy cuddling mom. It is adorable. This is the first time that a red wolf pup has been born at Roger Williams Park Zoo since 2005. As you know, with only 15 to 20 currently in the wild, every single birth, both in the wild and in captivity, and whether they stay in captivity or head into the wild, matters greatly for this species. And yeah, I know I should have put this in zoo news, but I wanted to do the whole howl thing, so I moved it to conservation news. It's it's technically both. As is this next one, because there were Mexican wolves recently born at Brookfield Zoo, uh, and the three pups there have ventured out of their den after being fostered with a pack in New Mexico. That's right, yet another example of animals born in a zoo, snuck into the wild uh, with a new mother, and now thriving and venturing out of the den and living their best lives. An amazing story, and I'm just so proud of everyone at Brookfield and everyone involved with these wolf reintroduction programs. They're incredible. And it turns out that these three pups, getting to our third story here, are just three of 11 that have recently been snuck into the wild population. There were also pups from El Paso Zoo in El Paso, Texas, the Wolf Conservation Center in Salem, New York, the Southwest Wildlife Conservation Center in Scottsdale, Arizona, 
and Sevilleta National Wildlife Refuge in Sirocco, New Mexico. Now, while we don't have evidence that all of these pups are doing well like we do with the Brookfield Trio, uh, you know, there's a long history of success with this type of reintroduction of wolves in the wild. So there's every reason to believe that these Mexican wolves are going to be out there helping that population grow. Love it. And last but not least, in our wolf area anyway, uh, there is now a sign when you cross the Alligator River heading towards the outer banks of North Carolina that welcomes traffic into the area by saying Red Wolf Crossing, next 12 miles. It's one of those mobile signs that, you know, have the little light up things that can say anything. But at least for right now, it says Red Wolf Crossing next 12 miles. So hopefully people will slow down and not take out any more of this incredibly endangered population. And that's it for your wolf news this week. Okay, enough. And our friends at the Giraffe Conservation Foundation recently announced some really exciting news. GCF, in partnership with Wild Africa Conservation, Wings for Conservation, and the government of Chad, undertook an aerial survey of the Kunduguru area in, uh, in Chad. And what they discovered was a new and previously unknown population of critically endangered Kordofan giraffes. This is the northernmost population ever recorded, and there are at least 34 individuals in the population, and there might even be more. This is hugely exciting for this endangered species and is just ah, so cool. I love GCF so much. Congressman Ted Liu of Los Angeles introduced a bill to the House of Representatives recently to prohibit the use of lead ammunitions on U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service lands. The bill is known as the Lead Endangers Animals Daily Act, or LED Act, because it's an acronym and it's the thing, would mainly serve to help eliminate the animals who contact lead from ammunition used by hunters and then get lead poisoning and die, and then the carrion eaters eat it, and then they get sick, and then they die, and sometimes the lead gets into the water and causes other animals, and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, lead is really bad. Lead ammunition is really bad. There are other options now, but a lot of hunters are really opposed to them. So I'll be curious to see what happens with this, but... um. Without a doubt, it's a law that we can get behind, and uh, hopefully hopefully it passes. Hopefully it passes. Hopefully it passes. I have faith. Maybe. And actually, that's not the only good thing going on in the House for animals right now. Uh, during a U.S. House Committee on Natural Resources hearing, legislators discussed the importance of monitoring wildlife disease and its role in preventing public health crises. The aftermath of COVID-19 pushed legislators to find more tools to prevent public health crises. They are turning to wildlife disease monitoring as a way to protect human health. Now, you might be thinking, well, that sounds a lot like One Health, uh, the thing that means, you know, animal health, human health, it's all One Health kind of thing. And guess what? That is correct. In fact, the concept of monitoring wildlife disease stems from One Health, which focuses on achieving health for all life by recognizing the connection between human and wildlife health. Uh, so this hearing gave legislators the opportunity to learn more about the connection between human and wildlife disease from experts and to ask questions 
about the future of wildlife health monitoring. Experts were able to stress the need for things like more wildlife disease surveillance, an interagency wildlife disease database, increased funding for tribal nations to manage wildlife disease, and a lot more. Uh, This is really, really cool, and I would like to thank my friends at the Wild Animal Health Fund for not only sharing this information, but honestly doing so in such a great way that I I just, I, y'all, I read their post. Carolyn, I love you. Thank you for writing such a good thing because you just saved me a little bit of interpretation. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate everyone at Wild Animal Health Fund, and this is really good news, y'all. And that brings us to... In other news. And last but not least this week, in other news, we have a squirrel that wanted to play baseball. Okay, okay, that's a stretch. However, uh, there was a squirrel that ran onto the field during a minor league baseball game between the Buffalo Bisons and the Columbus Clippers. Two great zoo cities, I I will say. And uh, the squirrel ran past players and were able to dodge the grounds clue for over a minute before they were able to catch it and safely remove it from the field of play. I tell you this because uh, if you want to see something really silly, just Google squirrel delay baseball and you will see a hilarious video of this squirrel doing squirrel things, running away from, from people on the field. All set to the comedy classic song, Yakety Sax, which is not put in the video by the people who put together the video, but in fact was played by the, uh, the, the, the Foley artist, the person, I don't know what they call them. I don't really know who plays songs at a game, but that person did it at the stadium in Columbus. So kudos to them. And, uh, definitely, definitely, if you're having a rough day, Check out Squirrel Delay, y'all. Animal, animal, animal holidays. Animal, animal, animal holidays. All right, so it is our first full week of June, and a friendly reminder that June is Zoo and Aquarium Month, Our World Oceans Month, and Orca Month. And then we start this week on June 3rd, which has no animal days. But then June 4th is Hug Your Cat Day, International Ungulate Awareness Day, and Butterfly Education and Awareness Day. Again, I'd like to point out that maybe one of those could have jumped onto the third, but hey, what do I know? Anyway, the 5th is World Environment Day. And the 8th is World Oceans Day. And then, starting on the 9th, it is World Sea Turtle Week. And you probably already knew that because we're celebrating Sea Turtle Awareness Month with our friends at Adventure Aquarium. So if you haven't checked out last Tuesday's episode, go do that. And again, happy Pride, y'all. And just like that, another week of Zoo News is in the books. I'd like to say thanks to Lara Shank, my Red Panda-level patron, and also to the following people who contributed stories this week. 
Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Kristen Khalil, Carrie Kirkpatrick, Emily Rockbuck, Liz Dunleavy, Crystal Chapman, Jacob Newman, Danny Poirier-Larson, and Ren Howell. Thank you all. I appreciate it so, so much. And hey, do y'all realize what just happened? We just did an entire episode of Zoo News without a single negative story. Amazing. Ah, what a great week. Woo. And seriously, y'all, get ready for Tuesday's episode, the title of which is Queer Ducks. More to come soon. You're going to love it. And remember, the words newsy credits backwards are Stiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.